Well, good morning, friends. My name is Nick, and I'm one of the pastors here at New Vision. And as always, it is a privilege and an honor to be able to worship with you through the reading of God's Word and the preaching of God's Word. About 15 years ago, um, I probably went, to one, went through one of the hardest times I've ever gone through in my entire life. See, I had just gotten married. That's not why my life got worse, by the way. That's how it got incredibly better. But me and my wife had just gotten married, and a couple of months after we had gotten married, my mom had passed away. And me and my mom were so close. I am a self-admitted mama's boy, and there's nothing wrong with that. And so when my mom passed away, my younger brother, Simeon, was living with her. And so he came to live with us. And I remember just being so numb because I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to say. I really didn't even know how to function from that point because the weight and the burden of that pain was just really overwhelming. But one of the beautiful things I remember about that time was my pastor at the time. I remember this like it was yesterday. I remember him coming to my house and I remember him just hugging me and he just let me cry on his shoulder. I remember my buddy, Justin, who went to that same church and he came and he just sat with me. Hours upon hours, day after day, he just sat with me. And I remember thinking to myself, man, this is beautiful. When the broad, the church is functioning in a way that God intended, it truly, truly is beautiful. And maybe that hasn't been your experience or your view of the church. Maybe you thought the church was just a building or maybe you thought it was just a bunch of individuals coming together, listening to a word, but not letting their lives intersect. But see, the picture that we have of the church kind of mandated by God is not that. See, we've been in a series called 2020 Embracing a New Vision for Life. And I think as we put the lens of the gospel over the bride of Christ, we see its beauty, we see the potential, we see kind of what God had intended for the church. And I pray over the next few moments that we're able to pause, that we're able to lean in, that we're able to pull back the lens of scripture and see it accurately and see this bride of Christ as what it really was intended to be. So if you have your Bibles or your computers or whatever it is you use, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 2. We're going to begin diving into verse 42. But before we do that, let me pray. Father God, thank you for who you are and what you do. Lord, thank you that you have invited all of us to be a part of your bride. Thank you that you have called your bride to reflect you. Thank you that you have put your very spirit within us so that we can carry out the mission in which you have called your bride to do. And Father... May in this time and in this space, as we gather together, even though it doesn't look like it normally does, Father, may we remember that we're united in heart, that we're united in spirit, and that we are fixing our eyes on the same thing. And so may we walk towards what our eyes are fixed upon. So Jesus, we love you. Give us wisdom. Give us clarity. And Lord, thank you for this opportunity to continue to worship through the reading of your word. Lord, we pray all these things in your awesome and amazing name. 
Amen. So we're in Acts, beginning in chapter 2, verse 42. Acts has a lot to say about the church. It's called the Acts of the Apostles, but what it really is, is the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. And you have to understand, kind of in this time frame, is what's going on in Acts, is Pentecost has just happened. That's when the Holy Spirit came and indwelled the followers of Jesus. What's really interesting is, um, this weekend is the anniversary where we believe Pentecost happened, seven Sundays from Easter. So it's kind of crazy that we're talking about Pentecost on the anniversary of Pentecost. And so the author is Dr. Luke. He was a friend of Paul. He was a confidant of Paul. And so he is writing the Acts of the Apostle, which is really the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. Daryl Brock says this. He's a professor at DTS Seminary. He says this about Acts in the church. The message of Acts is that the church of Jesus Christ is God's instrument to glorify himself in the present age. See, the bride of Christ is beautiful because it reflects the groom. Let me say that again. The bride of Christ is beautiful because it reflects the groom. We are a people who have been indwelled with the Holy Spirit of God to paint an accurate picture of our King and our groom, and that is best done together. So as we dive into verse 42, probably what it says uh, overhead in that text of scripture is the fellowship of the believers. And we're gonna get into that. We're gonna talk about that. We're gonna unpack that. And then also what we're gonna get to do is we're going to take a meal as a family, the Lord's Supper here in just a minute. So stay tuned. But before we get there, there's some things that we need to unpack in beginning in Acts chapter two, beginning in verse 42. It says this, they, who is they? referring to. They is normal, everyday, run-of-the-mill people. They, just normal people who were filled with the Holy Spirit, who were called by name and called by purpose to display the goodness of Jesus. Devoted. In Greek, that means a steadfast, single-minded fidelity to a certain course of action. They were devoted. They had their eyes fixed on the same thing, and their hearts were devoted, and they were walking in the same way. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. See, in that one verse, there is so much that is there. There's so much that we need to unpack. And here's the deal. It kind of reveals the picture. When we put the gospel lens over the church, we get to see some things even more carefully. One of the things we see when we have this gospel lens in an accurate view is we see that being a, we see that the church is something that's worth being a part of. So when we see the church through a gospel lens, we see it as something worth being a part of. Why? Because it's God's idea. This isn't man's idea. This isn't some people sitting in the back room going, okay, what can we do to be cool? What can we do? What's an institution we can put together? No, this is God's idea. This is the bride of Christ. It is something worth being a part of. And we see this. The Holy Spirit has indwelled these people and has made them united in spirit and united in vision and united in their devotion. And so they are walking together. You want to be a part of what the Holy Spirit is doing. The church, the bride, is something that we want to be a part of when we see it correctly. So what does it mean? What does it mean to be a part of the church? Luke summarizes it so, so clearly when he says they devote themselves to worship slash teaching, 
fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. When we see the church through a gospel lens, we see the gathering of it as necessary and life-giving. Hear me. I know you might be thinking to yourself, but Nick, it doesn't feel like I'm united with other believers because I'm watching online. Nick, it doesn't feel like I'm united because I don't hear the voices of those around me. Can I just tell you something that we, as we gather together, we sit under teaching, we sing songs that are true to remind us of who is on the throne. We are worshiping together. We are not forsaking the gathering of the saints, but we are celebrating it and moving forward in a way that looks a little different, but it's not any less potent. We are in this together and we are walking together. And as we see the church through an accurate gospel lens, we see that the gathering of it is necessary and life-giving. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, it says this, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Listen, we can still spur each other on. We can still remind each other of what's true. We can still sit in worship together. We can still sit under teaching together. We can still run this race together. Although it looks different, it is no less amazing and impactful. And maybe today you need to hear that as you might be sitting with your family and your friends or your kids, and you might be going, am I really gathered with other believers? You are. Our voices together is still resounding throughout this world. Let us not lose heart and let us not forget. When we see the church through a gospel lens, we see the beauty and the sharpening of the fellowship. That word fellowship is kononia, which is this word for fellowship. Believers are called into fellowship, not only with each other, but with the Son, the Holy Spirit, and the Father. We are, we are brought in common to war together. See, sometimes you might think that fellowship is like an ice cream social. Hey, we're fellowshipping past the hot fudge. No, I don't know where that voice came from, but whatever. No, but a better view, vantage point of fellowship is warring together. It's being united in spirit. It's me carrying your burden and you carrying my burden. It's me supporting you as we navigate this world that is broken, but we remind each other that we're fixing our eyes on the king and we get to walk together. It's this picture of us, even though we're different, still linking arms together and appreciating the differences between us because we have this foundation of Jesus that we know that because we have the same foundation, we can make it through anything together as we support each other, as we sharpen one another, and as we fellowship together. A couple of weeks ago, when I heard about Ahmaud Arbery, my heart was heavy. Because yet again, I saw a picture of injustice that really has been a picture of injustice that we have seen over the course of our history. And it just broke my heart. It broke my heart for myself. It broke my heart for my boys. It just broke my heart because here was another picture of the brokenness of this world. And me and Pastor Brady were texting. I just texted him and said, hey, man, my heart is really heavy. This really, really hurts. I feel like I need to say something about it to encourage those, to help those around us. And I just want to let you know, because I know that when I say something that has rippling effects in Brady, what I love is just gave me this really accurate picture of what fellowship looks like. He said, Nick, this is hard. 
He's like, ah, it's horrible and I'm with you. I'm telling you. See, Brady is melanin deprived. So he doesn't understand what it's like to walk around as a black man. But you know what? His friend has plenty of melanin. And so he just got in the midst of the struggle and the pain with me and just said, hey, Nick, I don't understand all the things, but I know you're my brother. And so I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to mourn with you. And I am with you. That is a beautiful picture of the bride. See, the bride, as we are, we don't go, hey, we all look the same. We are all the same. Guys, we are not all the same. We're not. But can I just tell you, that is what makes the bride more beautiful. We can come from different places, have different shades of melanin, have different incomes, but yet we can come together and stand on the foundation of Jesus and navigate this world in a place that best reflects the savior of the world. I'm telling you, that is a beautiful picture of the bride. It kind of sums up what Brady was able to do with me and what we have been called to do with each other as the bride of Christ. Ephesians 4.2 says this, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. As members of the bride, we bear with each other in love. We're patient with one another. We encourage one another. We walk with one another. When we see a brother walking outside the lines of what is best for him, we speak up, we speak the truth. We allow and step into those uncomfortable moments when we don't know what to say. Why? Because that's what it means to bear with one another. Because if we bear with one another, we are able to really stand in whatever storm comes our way. And what happens is when we stand in whatever storm comes our way, the beauty of Christ is even more revealed. See, I have this pine cone here. This was found in the Sequoia National Forest. Some years ago, I think I spoke about and I used um, the Sequoia tree as an illustration. But as I was looking at this pine cone and thinking about where it came from, it reminded me of these Sequoia trees. And you know a Sequoia trees, these redwood in the redwood forest. Like they are huge. They are massive. They dwarf cars. They make humans look like ants. They truly are magnificent. And you would think that a Sequoia tree is able to get to that height and get to that size because it has really, 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 really deep roots. But that's not the case at all. The way that a sequoia tree is able to reach its full potential is by interlocking its roots with other sequoia trees so that when storms come, when the rains come, when the floods come, those roots are so tightly linked together that they can withstand whatever comes their way. And I tell you, I can't think of a more better and more accurate picture of what was meant for the bride of Christ. When we see the bride of Christ through a gospel lens, we see that it can withstand any storm because of the spirit within the people and the people fixing their eyes on the king and walking together in full devotion. Also, when we see the bride through a gospel lens, we see prayer as the brick and mortar. Not just normal brick and mortar, but we see prayer as the brick and mortar of the bride. Why? Because prayer is powerful and nothing can overcome it. See, these saints in Acts, they were a praying people. 
And see, sometimes we think prayer is just making requests to God. No, no, no. Prayer is a dialogue and not a monologue. It's not, hey, God, let me tell you all the things I need. Let me tell you all the ways you need to work. But it's a dialogue. It's, hey, God, here are some needs in my heart that you're already aware of. But let me listen to that small voice. Let me follow your lead. Let me allow my heart to be reformed and transformed into what you want just by the walking slowly with you. The bride is made up of prayer. That is what makes it strong. We see prayer as the brick and more when we have an accurate view of the bride. Acts 2, 43 says this. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. See, when we see the bride accurately through the lens and the gospel we see it as a conduit, as the spirit of God. Everyone was in awe. Why was everyone in awe? Because God was using ordinary people to do extraordinary things. The same thing he is doing today. He is using once broken things to help mend other broken things. He is allowing the bride to reflect him. He's allowing marriages to be restored. He's allowing those who were lost to get found. We are a conduit of the spirit of God. And in case you're not familiar, you're not a handyman like I do, I am. A conduit is something that conducts. So it's kind of transfers the energy into something else. Copper is a good conduit, right, of electricity. And so it's a conduit of the spirit of God. That is what the bride is. We get the privilege and the opportunity to allow the spirit of God to use these once broken vessels to be to bestow hope and to point the finger to Christ. We see the bride as a conduit of the spirit of God. Verse 44. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Here's the thing, they were together. Doesn't mean they all looked the same, it doesn't mean they all acted the same, but what it means is they had the same foundation, their eyes were fixed on the same thing, and because of what their eyes were fixed on, they were all walking in the same direction, and they had everything in common. What does that mean? It means that they had the most important thing in common. So because they had the most important thing in common, they were able to put their priorities where they needed to be because everything was in common or the right thing was in common. Verse 45, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. What does that mean? That means that the bride was generous. Why were they generous? Because they were taking their cue from the groom. The groom gave his life, Jesus. And so they're like, listen, we're gonna follow his lead and we're gonna go and do likewise. And so let us be generous. Let us look at those who are suffering. Let us look at those who are broken. Let us look at those who don't have justice and let's be the voice for them. They were generous. And can I just tell you something? Generosity will cost you something. It will. It'll make you uncomfortable. It might cost you resources, but it will cost you something. But here's the thing, it's worth it. It is worth the price. And we get our cue from the king. Verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. When we see the bride, through the accurate lens of the gospel. We see it as something that brings us 
to awe, not because of us, but who dwells within us and who we are fixing our eyes on. It is something that is awe-inspiring. We're in awe of the one in which the bride reflects. And the more healthier we are, the more we're fixing our eyes on the king, the more accurate we will display the groom that has called us to walk with him. See, maybe you've heard about the church and maybe you've felt most of your life that you're not good enough, that you don't belong, that you don't have an invitation. But can I just tell you right now that you've been invited to be a part of this bride, not because of what you have to offer and not because you have earned your place in this bride, but because there was a savior who went before you, who surrendered his life so that you could be a part of his bride and so that you could dine at his table. And maybe today is the day where you have seen more accurately, you have seen this gospel, this redeeming work of Jesus, his price paid on a cross and his resurrection from the grave. Maybe you've seen it in a way that you've never seen and you go, you're thinking to yourself, you know what? I wanna be a part of this bride. I wanna be a part of this church. How can I do that? I want that. Well, right here, right now, right where you are. If you could say something like this, remember it's not the words that save you, it's the position and the posture of your heart. If you could say something like this, dear Jesus, I don't understand it all. Nobody does. But in the best way I know how, I say yes to your perfect life that was lived that I could not live. I say yes to your perfect life surrendered on the cross to pay for all of my shortcomings and all of my mistakes. I say yes to the fact that you were resurrected from the grave, overcoming death and allowing me to overcome death through your payment in full on the cross. I say yes to right relationship with you. If you said something like that right here and right now, on the authority of God's word, it says that you will be saved. Another way to say that is you get to dine at the king's table and you become as a son or daughter of the king. Woo. When it says that many were added to that number, that includes you right here and right now. Listen, and maybe you've been walking with church for a while and you go, Nick, I want to be more involved. I've said yes to Jesus, but what else does it look like? It means serving those around you. It means linking arms with those maybe in small groups. We're doing that through Zoom right now, but maybe it will be live. Maybe it'll be whenever, but it's linking arms, it's serving, it's using your gifts and talents to be a part of this bride so we can accurately paint a picture of Jesus. So you're invited to take even more part of being this bride of Christ. May we do this well together. May we link arms with one another. May we fix our eyes on the King and may we remember that we have been invited and empowered with the Spirit of God to reflect the groom, Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. Dear Jesus, thank you for who you are and what you do. Lord, my prayer for us, Lord, is that we can best reflect you as we remember who is within us, who is before us and who has empowered us. May we link arms with our brothers and sisters, no matter where they're from or what they look like. May we get into the midst with them and may we fix our eyes together, standing on the firm foundation of Jesus and best reflect this beautiful bride because it best reflects this glorious King. So Lord, we love you. Lord, we thank you. And Lord, we pray all these things in your name. Amen. Mark Driscoll, who's a pastor, he says this. When we eat together, we're saying, well, we're going to eat with these people forever. 
So we're going to eat with them every week, practicing for the greatest feast of all time. What I love about meals is it puts everybody on equal, equal ground. We're all gathered together around the table. We're all on equal ground. We all have a plate. We all get to fill it up and we all get to eat until we are full. What a beautiful picture of what the church has called to be. And what I love is that Jesus illustrated his sacrifice on the cross through this meal that these disciples and his closest followers had known because it was instituted back in the Old Testament. But what Jesus was showing them is how he was the fulfillment of everything that they had need. And he used bread and he used wine to best illustrate it. And he called this the Lord's Supper. And we get to do that together right now. If you have not yet gone and gotten your elements, your bread and your juice, I would get that now and be prepared for us to take a meal as a family, uniting ourselves around the table of the King because we have all been invited. And in that upper room, right before Jesus gave his life, he took the bread, which represented his body, and he gathered the juice or the wine and prepared for them a meal that they were gonna take so that they can best remember. So right now, as we remember where our hope comes from and where our hope is found, take a moment, reflect on the goodness of our King, reflect on where your hope is found. And then here in just a moment, we're gonna take these elements together.